Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth through today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com or you can download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 29 called Woe, O Ariel. Isaiah 29 is what you want tonight. Isaiah 29. Some of the themes of the potter and the clay will come up in this particular text. Isaiah 29, verse 1. God speaking through Isaiah says, Woe, O Ariel, Ariel, the city where David once camped, add year to year, observe your feasts on schedule. Now, first of all, Isaiah pronounces a woe. We've talked about how that's not a lyric in a rock and roll song (laughs) in the Bible. Rather, that is a mixed um, term of both judgment and sympathy. It's a a, um, feelings go out to the one, but at the same time, judgment is coming. Woe to you. What's coming upon you is very sobering. That's the idea And uh, the woe is pronounced on Ariel. Uh, Ariel can mean lion or lioness, if you look it up in your Strong's, or it could also mean altar hearth. And there are two potential meanings there. If you think about the first meaning of Ariel, um, lion or lioness, think about strength. Um, Jerusalem is going to be the meaning of Ariel, And if you think of Jerusalem, you can think of it in this way. They saw themselves as a line of strength. They saw themselves really as a city so blessed by God that it would be impenetrable. It would be almost unthinkable that God would allow the city to be dominated in some way. But we do know in 701 BC, for those of you who are interested in history, this would happen shortly after the time that Isaiah would write this. Shennacherib did come down and besiege Jerusalem. So that city that thought it was Ariel, strong as a lion or a lioness, if you will, did uh, discover that God would lift the cloak of covering, if you will, if they would not obey him. The second meaning of Ariel is, um, as I mentioned, altar hearth. And you might want to write down in your notes, Isaiah, excuse me, Ezekiel 43, 15 and 16. The altar hearth was the stone surface of the altar where fire consumed the sacrifices. So kind of a double image. If you take both meanings, it's as though God is saying, Ariel, Jerusalem, you think you're so strong, but you're actually going to become a place that becomes an altar of fire. Think of the idea of a sacrifice. A sacrifice is a place where both God's um, wrath and grace intersect. How so? Well, it's a similar idea of the cross. Uh, When Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was an expression of God's holy wrath because Jesus was taking the sin of mankind in himself. He bore in his body our sins on the tree that we might live to righteousness, die to sin. So when Jesus dies on the cross, when he cries, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sky grows dark, the earthquakes, those are all uh, signs of judgment in the Bible. 
the darkness, the earth shaking, all signs of God's hand of judgment. So when you see these things happening at the cross, God is testifying through the darkened sky, through the earth trembling, through Jesus' forsaken cry, that sin, the sin of the world, the weight of the world is being pressed upon him. But simultaneously, the cross also testifies of the grace of God. Because God demonstrated his own love at the cross in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I've mentioned to you before that a way to think about the cross is that it is the intersection of both holiness, God's wrath, and God's grace. You could call it the intersection of law and love, if you like. That's what the cross is about. It's not just about love, and it is not just about wrath. It is about both. So when you explain the gospel to somebody, that's why it's important for them to know what sin is because then they can understand the reason for the cross is because sin must be paid for or atoned for. And God loves us so much that rather than us paying the penalty, he paid the penalty. Make sense? That's what the cross is about. So Jerusalem being called Ariel, meaning either lion or altar or both, gives you the idea that they think they're strong. They think, remember the themes of Isaiah, they think they're self-sufficient or they think that somehow making alliances with Egypt to the south can somehow spare them or save them. And God is saying, no, you think you're strong, but unless you have the lion of the tribe of Judah, unless you have my power in your life, you're not that strong. And I'm going to bring fire into the midst of the holy city to show you that you are not impenetrable, but that you do need me. And if you just go through the motions of religion, if you just say, hey, we should be cool because we live in the holy city after all. If you live in Jerusalem, you think, hey, I'm good with God, right? It's the city of God. It's the city of peace. It's the place, look at verse 1, where David once camped. David declared Jerusalem the city of David, and it was known as the city of God or the city of peace. It was there that David had planned to build the temple, Right, And Solomon, his son, would eventually build the temple, but David made all the preparations because he wanted to build a house for God, a house for sacrifice, a house for prayer for all the nations. That is what it was about. That city became the city of God. And he said he had written his name in Jerusalem forever. And so that's the idea here. But he calls it Ariel by this name because that city, that great city where David once camped, they, year to year, they observe feast on schedule. Look at verse 1. Year to year, you observe your feast on schedule. You keep the perfect religious calendar. But this is going to be really kind of a sarcastic tone with which Isaiah says this, because your feasts have become meaningless. They are empty rituals, because if they don't point you to God, they mean nothing. If you go through the motions as a person who is religious and you don't really know God, then the feasts really become a waste of time. They become something that really doesn't produce what it's supposed to produce. Now hold your finger in Isaiah and go to Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Go to chapter 23. God will lay out the feast of Israel in Leviticus 23. It's an important chapter for those of you who want to get to know the feast better. Leviticus 23. The Lord speaks to Moses and says these words, verse 1. The Lord spoke again to Moses saying, Leviticus 23, 1, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times, if you have an NIV in New King James, it says the Lord's appointed feasts, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations 
My appointed times, feasts in the NIV, New King James, are these. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath, verse 3, of complete rest. A holy convocation, you shall not do any work, it is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the appointed times, or feasts of the Lord, holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the times appointed for them. See the repetition of the idea of appointed times? And the way to to define a feast is a divine appointment. That's why the NAS defines it this way or renders it this way because a feast was actually supposed to be something that was a divine appointment, a time with which, go back to Isaiah, you would meet with God. The feast of the Passover, the feast of tabernacles, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, These feasts throughout the history of Israel were supposed to be holy convocations. That is, there are periods of time where the Jews would especially focus on something God had done in their history or would do in their history. And as you study the spring and fall feasts, you discover that the spring feasts were fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus Christ, and the fall feasts will be fulfilled in the second coming of Jesus Christ. So think of them as both divine appointments for both the present, the future, and there's also a meaning in the Feast of Dress Rehearsals. For example, take the Feast of Tabernacles. There will be a day when God will literally tabernacle among us. He tabernacled with us in the person of Jesus Christ, and he will literally set up his tent with us in the new Jerusalem when Jesus returns. That's the idea of the feast. They are both to celebrate who God is, what he's done, and what he will do in the future, or what he did do in the person of Jesus Christ. Make sense? So just the essence of the feast tells us that it's something that you can have all the pageantry and you can do it the right way, But if God is not the central focus of the feast, they really become meaningless, repetitious things that are just done for religious reasons because I happen to be a Jew in this city at this time. And we all know how that can work because we can grow grow up in systems or households where uh, religious things have been part and parcel with what we do. But just because they're what we do, it doesn't mean they are what we are. It doesn't mean that it's not possible to go through the motions and be in the right place at the right time year by year to do the right things. Look at verse 1 on schedule to be on a religious calendar that works, that's consistent, but yet miss the point. In Colossians 2, 16 and 17, it says, Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink in respect to a festival or feast or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow, skia is the Greek word, they're a shade, an image cast by an object, a shadow of what is to come, but the substance or the body belongs to Messiah. So the deeper meaning here is that the feasts were supposed to lead the nation to Messiah. And what is the biggest problem in Judaism today? They don't know their Messiah. And God is saying, if you practice these feasts void of the Messiah, who is the substance of things to come, then you have removed the very nature of what the shadow was meant to cast. Are you with me? 
The shadow is casting something from an object. The object is the Messiah. The shadow was the Old Testament. Now that he's come, they are fulfilled in him. He is our Sabbath. He is our tabernacle. Are you with me? You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. You're invited to our next apologetics event called Dare to Defend. This is something that you're going to want to go to because it's going to bolster your faith and encourage you and give you reasons and answers for the hope that you have. Join some of today's top apologists who will provide real answers to skeptics' toughest questions and equip you with the tools necessary to confront the moral confusion of today's culture. J.P. Moreland talking about miracles. Why do I have to have an answer to this question? I at least know there's a God. Sean McDowell dealing with deconstruction. When I was on the road, to met a man he goes I'm his last friend who didn't bail on him I thought man what does it matter with us John and Claudia Kalmakoff if they don't have that foundation and they don't know about God's promises and what we know is true not by what we're feeling but by facts historical archaeological facts what we know to be true then their feelings take over Lenny Esposito who will deal with the power of the archaeological record you know you're doing a construction project Rome they were trying to build the subway and they had to keep stopping because they keep finding stuff hey if you're looking to get further equipped and we all should be this is the conference to go to dare to defend begins friday evening on march 25th at living truth christian fellowship in corona california get your tickets now and make sure you have plans to join us learn more about dare to defend and get your tickets when you visit walkintruth.com that's walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH That's 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. And God is saying, if you practice these feasts void of the Messiah, who is the substance of things to come, then you have removed the very nature of what the shadow was meant to cast. Are you with me? The shadow is casting something from an object. The object is the Messiah. The shadow was the Old Testament. Now that he's come, they are fulfilled in him. He is our Sabbath. He is our tabernacles. Are you with me? So this is the idea. God is saying, what you do is you go through the pageantry of the feast, but they are void of me. Imagine that. Revelation 3, when uh, God is addressing the church of Laodicea, the picture is of him knocking at the door of his church and saying, don't you hear me knocking? Let me into the church. It's as though church can be done void of Jesus. It's, it, there's a, a potential in humanity to have a form of godliness, but deny what? The power thereof. I mean, most of the world, let's face it, is religious. Small percentage of the world is atheist, or at least professed atheist. But God is concerned about how we worship him and that we worship him exclusively. And so he says to Ariel, verse 2, the 
sacred altar, if you like. I will bring distress to Ariel because she goes through these motions and thinks she's strong. And she shall be a city of lamenting and mourning. Think of the book of Lamentations when Jeremiah most likely wrote of Jerusalem's fall. It will be a city of lamenting and mourning, and she shall be like an aerial, notice, to me. If you have a New King James, it says, yet I will distress Ariel. God is the one behind it. I want you to see that. There shall be heaviness and sorrow, and it shall be to me as Ariel. What's God saying? Guess what? Jerusalem's going to become an altar, all right. An altar for fire, but guess what? It's going to be my altar now. And I'm going to send fire, and what's in the text now is a pointing to the coming Assyrian army that will become God's tool. And God's saying, okay, you think you're this, you think that you're the impenetrable city, the lion, the lioness, you think you're, you're the, the famous altar, well, fire is coming, and unless you turn to me, you're going to be in the middle of it. That's the message And that's the distress and duress that is coming Ariel's way. And God says, just so we don't miss it, and I will camp, verse 3, against you, encircling you. I want you to see God will pronounce three I wills. I will set siege works against you, and I will, that's the third one, will raise up battle towers against you. Now, though this is fulfilled in 701 by Shennacherib, king of Assyria, and later, remember, in 586 by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, yet God says, I am the one behind it. If you like, when you study the Bible, you could think of Assyria and Babylon as secondary causes, but God is the main cause. And theologically, people wrestle with that because they say, well, then is Assyria simply a puppet in God's hand? Something like Judas? If, if God said in the Old Testament that Jesus would be betrayed by a friend, is Judas culpable or is he just a puppet? Oh, he's culpable. He made his decision, but God still used that decision to fulfill his will. In a serious case, they were uh, an army devastating everybody. It wasn't like God just raised them up to go after his people. They already were on the march. They are already a destructive force and known as a very brutal army that showed no mercy and grace. But God took that brutality and said, if you won't trust me, then I won't rescue them, rescue you from them. They will become my tool as well. God has a way of exploiting evil for his good purposes. And sometimes when we think of him exploiting evil for his good purposes, we think, well, he works all things together for good, and he does do that. And sometimes bad things happen in our life, and God is so majestic that he exploits them for his good purposes. But in a different way, he also can do that if we need a little correction. And he can take something that's coming our way, and rather than him protecting us from it, which he may have done in the past, I don't know how many times God has protected my life, but I know of a few where he definitely has, and I probably shouldn't be standing here. Amen? You guys know what I'm talking about? Right? I don't know how many times he's done that. I don't know how many potential things could have come my way that God said, Michael, I know the number of your days, and I'm going to spare you. I don't know all the details about that, but I do know that God does put a hedge about people, read the book of Job, and that's exactly what Lucifer says to God. You've put a hedge about him, I can't get in him. And there's a time that God can also what? Lift the hedge. And so that's a little bit what's going on here. God's saying, look, you are my city, the apple of my eye, the people that I love, but it is possible if someone's on the rampage and I've protected you in the past, it's possible for me not to do that anymore. 
And there's application to the United States. I don't want to push Israel and the United States thing too far, but you all know what's happened in our recent history. And there was an attitude in America that we were an impenetrable bubble. And I don't want to speak for God on all the details of that, but I will say this, we must be very careful as a people that we don't become so prideful that we think everything that's here and that we enjoy today is of our own making. Because the minute you start to do that, then God says, okay, you think that you've existed all this time just on your own? Well, let me show you what happens when I exit stage left. It's a frightening, sobering thought. Then you shall be brought low, verse 4. That's usually what has to happen to get many of our attention. Then you shall be brought low. It's a picture of humility. From the earth you shall speak, and from the dust where you are prostrate. Now remember, the picture is the armies come in, and they're, they're like fallen by the sword. Maybe this is a picture of them writhing in pain and dying moments. You are prostrate, your word shall come. Your voice shall also be like that of a spirit. If you have a King James, it says a familiar spirit from the ground. If you have a new King James, it says a medium from the ground. And your speech shall whisper from the dust. Let me read the NIV. It says, brought low, you will speak from the ground. Your speech will mumble out of the dust. Your voice will come ghost-like from the earth. Out of the dust, your speech will whisper. You've been listening to Woe, O Ariel, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 29. Remember, if you missed any part of today's teaching or any of Pastor Michael's previous teachings, you can go back and listen for free to the podcast. Just search for and follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. Now here's Pastor Michael with a word before we go. Well, as you read the Old Testament and you read Isaiah 29, you can see some things that are quoted in the New Testament and Sometimes you, you're like, well, where does this come from? You, maybe you even hear, hey, it came from Isaiah, but where and what was the context? For example, in verse 13, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Or the potter and clay imagery a little later in Isaiah chapter 29. And, and of course, it's a woe, uh, once again, placed upon the, the people of Israel. And the, and the question is why? And, and is this why uh, some of the things that have happened over history have happened? Well, certainly we could say this is why God's allowed judgment to fall through Assyria and Babylon and even Rome in the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. The hatred toward the nation of Israel and the people of Israel, how does one explain that? Well, I think you explain it through spiritual warfare and this really, um, the people of Israel being set apart to bring forth the oracles of God, namely the Old Testament, to bring forth the Messiah through the tribe of Judah. So, so much happening, not just on a physical plane, but of course on a spiritual plane. And let me just say that even what's happening today, you know, we talk about war and and things, movements of nations and so forth. And we can't uh, ignore a couple of things that we got to think about. That is the power of sin, the power of the fall, but also spiritual warfare. And even this idea of spirits influencing government and regions of the world. This is all reality of what happens behind the scenes and may explain at least in part what we see today. What are we seeing today? A world at war. Uh, 
people with all kinds of questions. Where is God in the midst of this? How do we make sense of that? And a woe is pronounced on Ariel here because of man's rebellion. And just one more thought. The preacher's preaching. Here's what it is. If this stuff does not drive us back to God as individuals, as families, as nations, I don't know what will. I don't know what more it's going to take, brethren, for us to finally say, let's turn back to the Lord. You know, other nations are watching us, watching our uh, policies, watching our uh, the things that we promote around the world. What do you think they see? Now, with all of that, I would say that there's hope. I see pockets of revival. I see the beauty of people going deeper with the Lord. Man, we need that to multiply. Oh, Lord, we need it to multiply. This is Pastor Michael Lance. This is Walk in Truth, and you're walking through the book of Isaiah with us. So glad you're listening. You may be brand new to the broadcast, or you may have listened for the last several years, and maybe you're even a partner of the ministry. We just want to say a big thank you to all of you. We deeply appreciate it. Would you pray for us and partner with us as you can? You can uh, submit even prayer requests, or let us know that you're listening and you're being encouraged at walkintruth.com. This is Pastor Michael. We will see you tomorrow, Lord willing, right here for more on Isaiah 29. Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, and will hopefully help us become 100% listener-supported. Would you please help us pay for the airtime on the radio station you're listening to? A monthly partnership of at least $5 a month is all we ask. You can visit walkintruth.com and click donate. That's walkintruth.com and click donate. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 29 called Woe O Ariel. I'm Mike Massaro and thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.